Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative BioLabs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Welcome, dear listeners. Today, our special guest is once again the renowned Dr. Benjamin Smith, the esteemed editor of a prominent scientific journal. Let's extend a warm welcome to him. Would you like to greet our audience, Dr. Smith? Thank you for having me back, Connie. Hello to all our listeners. Indeed, MSCs have proven to be a powerful tool in various fields, particularly in the induction of specific differentiation patterns and the promotion of tissue regeneration in vivo. Today, we will delve into the topic of tissue regeneration facilitated by MSCs. Where should we begin, doctor? In today's discussion, we'll focus on the regeneration of skeletal tissue with a primary emphasis on bone regeneration. While small bone fractures and defects often heal naturally without surgical intervention, extensive tissue loss and certain procedures, like spine fusion, require the neoformation of bone. These procedures take place at sites where natural osteogenesis doesn't occur. Many studies have explored the potential of MSCs in facilitating bone regeneration. MSCs can be administered systemically through intravenous injection or directly implanted at sites with bone defects. Systemic approaches leverage MSCs' ability to migrate across endothelium, akin to the migration of leukocytes to sites of inflammation. This phenomenon has been demonstrated in various experimental models. Furthermore, MSCs can naturally home to sites of bone fractures or bones with impaired development. The systemic approach holds promise for clinical use, although the exact number of injected cells that ultimately engraft into the injured tissue remains uncertain. Studies have shown that shortly after intravenous injection, MSCs are initially trapped in the lungs and are likely released into circulation several days later. Thus, the direct implantation approach aims to concentrate a high number of MSCs at the injured site. Are the implanted MSCs in a differentiated or undifferentiated state? And what are the clinical outcomes of MSC implantation? The implanted MSCs must be in a differentiated state. It is crucial to induce osteogenic differentiation of MSCs in vitro before implantation. Undifferentiated MSCs, when implanted into bone defects, tend to form nonspecific connective tissue. Alternatively, MSCs can be seated onto an osteoinductive and osteoconductive scaffold before implantation. These scaffolds are typically composed of hydroxyapatite and beta-tricalcium phosphate. As for the clinical outcomes, MSC scaffolds have shown promise in repairing segmental defects in long bones. Spine fusion has been achieved in large animals using a similar method. Moreover, this tissue engineering approach has been used to treat human patients with bone loss and long bones. Notably, patients have regained function within six to seven months after surgery. Subsequently, more reports have detailed the use of this method for bone regeneration in human patients at various sites, including the jaw, spine, and femoral head. That's quite promising. Are there any drawbacks associated with using scaffolds in this approach? 
Yes, there are some drawbacks to using hydroxyapatite scaffolds. One significant limitation is their slow resorption rate in vivo. In fact, a substantial portion of these scaffolds may not resorb even after several years, potentially impeding complete bone regeneration. To address this, an improved approach involves combining MSCs with an osteogenic factor, such as bone morphogenetic protein 2. BMP2 can be incorporated into the scaffolds during their preparation and then combined with MSCs. In this manner, BMP2 is slowly released from the scaffold after implantation, aligning with the degradation rate of the scaffold. This controlled release may induce osteogenic differentiation of MSCs at the implantation site. However, it's important to note that BMP2 has a relatively short half-life, which could limit its effectiveness in this system. When it comes to bone morphogenetic proteins, I've learned about a different approach. It involves combining MSCs with osteogenic proteins continuously secreted from fracture sites. What are the advantages of this approach? This approach is commonly referred to as MSC-based gene therapy. It involves genetically modifying MSCs to overexpress a transgene that encodes an osteogenic gene, often from the bone morphogenetic protein family. There are several advantages to using this method for tissue regeneration. First, the implanted MSCs secrete osteogenic factors in physiologically relevant amounts over an extended period of time. Second, MSCs tend to migrate to the edges of fractures, promoting a more organized pattern of fracture repair compared to treatment with bone morphogenetic protein 2, which can lead to the formation of scattered ossification foci. Third, continuous secretion of the osteogenic factor creates an autocrine-paracrine effect, inducing osteogenic differentiation not only in the implanted MSCs, but also in resident stem cells within the surrounding tissue. Importantly, the new bone generated from engineered MSCs closely resembles natural bone in terms of chemical composition, structure, and nanobiomechanical properties. That's fascinating. In addition to bone regeneration, repairing damaged cartilage is a significant challenge in orthopedic medicine, especially since articular cartilage has limited self-repair capabilities. Can MSCs play a role in cartilage regeneration? Absolutely. Adult MSCs have the potential to proliferate and differentiate into chondrocytes, making them ideal candidates for cartilage tissue repair. Previous attempts involved culturing autologous chondrocytes and implanting them into cartilage defects. However, these chondrocytes had limited success in regenerating cartilage defects, and when loaded onto a polymeric carrier, they often underwent apoptosis, further limiting their therapeutic potential. Nevertheless, these results paved the way for research into autologous pluripotent cells with chondrogenic differentiation capabilities. The ability of MSCs to regenerate cartilage has been a subject of debate. Some studies suggest that MSCs may not fully regenerate cartilage over time and have limited success in creating long-lasting cartilage tissue. Instead, other studies have demonstrated the feasibility of using biodegradable scaffolds seeded with MSCs for articular cartilage repair. I've heard that genetically modified mesenchymal stem cells are also being used for cartilage formation. Have there been any results in this area? 
Indeed, researchers have explored the use of genetically modified mesenchymal stem cells to induce cartilage formation. Only a limited number of genes have been found to effectively induce chondrogenic differentiation in MSCs. For instance, when MSCs are infected with adenotransforming growth factor beta, they can differentiate into chondrocytes in vitro. Moreover, combining certain gene delivery methods to MSCs has led to enhanced chondrogenesis in vitro. In terms of in vivo outcomes, successful induction of MSC chondrogenic differentiation has been achieved by overexpressing the brachyure transcription factor. In both in vitro and in vivo settings, brachyure expressing MSCs have been shown to secrete a marker of chondrocytes, collagen 2. Furthermore, Implanting these cells at ectopic sites has led to the formation of chondrogenic tissue composed of proliferative chondrocytes. Interestingly, this engineered chondrogenic tissue has demonstrated resistance to the destructive effects of rheumatoid arthritis synovial fibroblasts. That's quite promising. Now, moving on to tendon and ligament injuries, which are common soft tissue injuries. Repairing these injuries can be challenging and existing surgical treatments may not always yield satisfactory results. Can MSCs play a role in addressing these issues? MSCs have shown the potential to differentiate into tendon or ligament cells in vitro, although this has only been demonstrated in a limited number of studies. Unfortunately, there is limited evidence to suggest that these MSCs can effectively repair these tissues in vivo. One potential approach for in vivo tendon repair involves implanting undifferentiated MSCs that have been seeded onto various biodegradable scaffolds. The implantation of autologous MSCs has been shown to improve the physical properties of damaged tendons, but this effect is typically detectable for only a few weeks post-surgery. Interestingly, MSCs obtained from older animals have been found to induce tendon repair in younger animals. There have also been studies involving genetically modified MSCs that were induced to differentiate into tenocyte-like cells in vitro and in vivo. When implanted into a rat's Achilles tendon defect, complete regeneration was achieved. However, such reports are relatively rare, and more research is needed to fully understand the potential of MSCs in regenerating Achilles tendons and similar tissues. Indeed, the survival and effectiveness of implanted cells in challenging environments are key considerations. Now, when it comes to intervertebral disc regeneration, it seems to present a significant challenge for stem cell therapy. Could you provide some insights into this area? Certainly. Regenerating the intervertebral disc presents a significant challenge due to the unique environment of this tissue. The intervertebral disc lacks blood vessels, leading to a hypoxic environment. Nucleus pulposus cells, the main cell type in the disc, rely on anaerobic metabolism to produce energy. This metabolic process can result in the accumulation of lactic acid and a low pH environment. Researchers have explored two primary strategies for stem cell-mediated intervertebral disc regeneration. The first strategy aims to address early disc degeneration and focuses on regenerating only the nucleus pulposus cells. This can be achieved through direct injection of MSCs into the disc, similar to the clinical practice of discography. 
In co-culture with nucleus pulposus cells, MSCs have been shown to differentiate into nucleus pulposus-like cells. Interestingly, despite the low pH levels in degenerated discs, MSCs have demonstrated the ability to survive in nucleotomized discs for several weeks. They can enhance extracellular matrix production and increase disc height. However, the ability of this method to generate a functional nucleus pulposus organization requires further evaluation. Additionally, the choice of the needle used for stem cell injection should be carefully considered, as its diameter may affect the damage caused to the disc. The second strategy aims for complete intervertebral disc regeneration, including both the nucleus pulposus and the annulus fibrosus. This is a more complex tissue engineering goal that involves the use of specific scaffolds and inducing factors. Notably, degenerative intervertebral discs contain resident mesenchymal stem cells, which opens the possibility of activating these cells to promote disc regeneration. Thank you for the explanation. It's clear that intervertebral disc regeneration is a complex task due to the unique properties of this tissue. Now, I'm curious about the potential of MSCs in regenerating non-skeletal tissues. Can you provide an example of non-skeletal tissue regeneration using MSCs? Absolutely. One remarkable example of non-skeletal tissue regeneration using MSCs is in the context of damaged heart tissue, particularly for the treatment of heart failure. Research in this area has yielded promising results. MSCs have the capacity to differentiate into cardiomyocytes, the specialized cells of the heart muscle. These differentiated cells have been shown to maintain their differentiation status even after transplantation into adult mouse hearts. Transplantation of MSCs has been demonstrated to improve cardiac function in animal models of heart injury. This improvement is thought to occur through mechanisms such as myogenesis, angiogenesis, and the inhibition of myocardial fibrosis. Extensive studies have been conducted in preclinical and large animal models to pave the way for potential clinical applications. Researchers have developed methods to introduce MSCs into cardiac tissues and monitor their homing, survival, and post-implantation effects. Additionally, new sources of stem cells suitable for cardiac applications have been identified. The impact of immunosuppressive drugs on MSC activity has been investigated as these drugs may be used in patients receiving implanted MSCs. Clinical studies have also been carried out and they have reported excellent results. The application of MSCs on a small scale has shown significant reductions in subsequent cardiovascular events, highlighting the potential of MSC-based therapies for heart regeneration and treatment of heart-related conditions. Those results are indeed quite encouraging. From what I understand, MSCs have also been utilized in animal models of traumatic brain injury and stroke. Could you explain how they contribute to the treatment of these conditions? MSCs have demonstrated their potential in promoting neuron survival and reducing the severity of neurological impairment in the context of brain injuries. When MSCs are directly implanted into the spinal column, they have been shown to enhance functional recovery after spinal cord injury. Numerous preclinical animal studies have provided evidence of MSC migration, differentiation, and regenerative effects within the brain. 
MSCs have displayed the ability to reduce neuropathic pain, confer neuroprotection in rat models of glaucoma, and induce neuronal regeneration following neonatal ischemic brain injury. Additionally, MSCs have shown promise in the treatment of conditions such as depression, Parkinson's disease, and epilepsy. The neuroprotective effects of MSCs may stem, in part, from their capacity to replace damaged or diseased neurons. However, it's worth noting that while there is a growing body of preclinical evidence, there are relatively few clinical studies that have demonstrated the safety and regenerative effects of MSCs in these neurological conditions. I appreciate your comprehensive insights. It's clear that MSCs hold significant potential in the field of regenerative medicine, even for non-skeletal tissue injuries and diseases. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Likewise, I wish you a great day.